In, in Paul's first uh, second letter to the Corinthian church, he wrote to encourage them and applaud them for their growth in the faith. And as we we encourage you to open up your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 here, we will look at this, this encouragement, just a small portion of it, given in verses 8 through 11. Beginning in verse 8, it says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same, same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And we all understand from our previous studies, even back in 1 Corinthians, that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote them in, in the first time, that the Corinthian church overcame a lot of problems between then and now, both as a group and as individuals. As Paul writes to them in this seventh chapter, one particular verse stands out to me, and that's verse 11. We'll, we'll just briefly read through it again. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence is produced in you? What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication? As we, we read through that, we, we go back and we, we're reminded once again that the Corinthians had a past that was not one to be desired. We go back to 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3 and we see the divisions that were taking place there. Chapter 5 spoke about sexual immorality. Chapter 7, Paul spoke to them about marriage, giving them instructions pertaining to marriage. Chapter 10 was warnings against idolatry. Chapters 12 through 14 was about spiritual gifts. And, and in between chapters 12 and 14 was that chapter of love there in, in chapter 13 where Paul had to, to really explain to them what true love was and what it looked like. Chapter 15 were reminded them of the gospel and the, the resurrection of Christ and what it meant, what it truly meant. And in chapter 16, he spoke about the collection for the saints. So we're reminded as we go back and we look back, here today is in, in the second uh, epistle that Paul wrote, he's admonishing them. Because we, we look back and we understand they had a bad past, that that past was corrected. And these, these people, these, these Christians here at Corinth, they decided to change their life. Apostle Paul said in verse 11 here, he said, What vehement desire. And I've always been one that when I come across words that aren't particularly used on grand scale in our society today or maybe are older or le have, have lost their, their oomph in life, I like to go back and look in the dictionary and see what does that mean. And so the, the word vehement literally means strongly emotional, intense or passionate, marked by great energy or exertion. And then we all probably understand what desire means, but because desire here, that's, that's the focus, that's what vehement is describing. It's the adjective for the noun. The noun is 
the thing is desire that they had. The desire is a wish or long for, to crave, to want. But what we are seeing here is a group of people, a group of people made up of individuals. So a group of individuals also that decided they were not going to live their lives in a negative way any longer. They decided to apply the word of God, and, and, and the word of God they're applying is this letter that Paul sent them the first time. And we, we, we often think of, of the word of God in, in different ways, but what, what they applied to them, to their lives, was what Paul wrote them in that first letter. So as we refer to the word of God, it's that letter that Paul wrote to them. And so they applied what Paul wrote to them. They applied the word of God to their lives and began to live according to his will and no longer living according to their own will. We're reminded in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'll actually go back to verse 9. As we remember in verse 9 when, when Solomon was, was made king and his, the one thing he asked of the Lord, and there in verse 9, he said, give your servant understanding. And we see the response here on the screen in, in verse 14 of 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord responded to Solomon's request by saying, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes, my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Have you ever longed for something? Have you ever wanted something so bad that you would do anything to get it? I'm sure each and every one of us has had that moment in our life. We've probably had multiple moments in our life where we longed for something. Maybe we longed for a better job. Maybe we longed for a, a healthier appetite or whatever it may be. That We all have our longings in life. Some of them can, are good. Some of them are, are not so good. But that's what we're looking at here when we're looking at the, this, this, this church, this transformation of these individuals that took place where Paul is writing to encourage them. That's what we're looking at here. They, they, they were longing for a change. And they were longing for correction in their life. And in order to do so, they knew that a change needed to take place. They needed to change their approach. And they wanted to change their approach. And I'm reminded that... You know, sometimes even the smallest changes in our approach will make the world a difference. We quite often think maybe at times that things are so bad that we have to make this drastic change. We have to just make this huge turnaround, this, this one, complete 180. But sometimes just the smallest change in our approach can make the world a difference. I'm reminded back, this is probably about 10 years or so ago, and and you may or may not be able to see this um, picture on the screen as well. But what, what this is, is this is, is, a, is a picture of about 10 years or so ago is when Brianna was, and Case and both, they were, they were competing in um, competitive, um, competitive marksmanship, um, precision marksmanship. And Brianna was actually training to go to the Junior Olympics in Colorado Springs. And we, we were in Anniston, Alabama at the, at the CMP facility there, and, and Brianna was, was practicing, so I was taking photos of her practice so we could sort of talk and go over her, her, her progress. And so, so what we have here is just is a thing from that. And what I want to do is use an example of knowing our approach. As you notice the cluster here in the, in the um, first there in the top left, 
knowing your approach, but not giving it your proper attention. Brianna knew the approach that she wanted to take, but she just wasn't really focused in and zoned and thinking about it as she should have been. Well, the second one here, you can see that her approach when giving proper attention. You know, the first five shots where they were good, she, they, were, they were good, but the last five continually got better as her attention to her approach was more earnest. She desired it more. But then sometimes we stray away from our approach. We stray away from what we have been taught. And as you see here in, in this next target down here that maybe it was becoming lax or just tired, fatigued, whatever, but the proper approach wasn't being taken. And one thing that they'll teach you, and she was taught, is in shooting, when you're aiming at the target, to always aim above the target, and then as you breathe and rest in, the gun naturally lowers down to the middle of the target. Well, instead, she was taking her approach from the bottom, and then when she would bring it up, and that tends to cause um, your shots to be, to, to be spread out a little bit more. And then once again, going back, what she was taught after after you know realizing those next groups of shots weren't what they should have been that her approach was wrong that she was coming up from the bottom rather than from the top she adjusted it she went back to what she was taught and that's what it means when we talk about changing our approach going back to what we were taught and that's what the corinthians did and we too must in ourselves we must be aggressive in our approach to change we must go back to what we were taught as, as early Christians. The Apostle Paul also says, what zeal that you had. And when you think of the word zeal, what comes to mind? You know, this is another word I think that has lost its, its usage in today's society. It's probably not used as, as much as it was at one point in time. But the word zeal simply means eagerness or ardent interest in pursuit of something. Okay, we're just taking that a little bit further. Well, what does eagerness mean? Eagerness is the enthusiastic or impatient desire or interest. Well, that's what these people here at Corinth were doing. They pursued godliness with eagerness. They were enthusiastic about growing and changing their behavior. They just couldn't wait to do this. They just wanted to have this change. They wanted to correct the things that were wrong in their lives. All that, those things we talked about moments ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to them in his first letter. But the question is, is do we have this same zeal when it comes to serving Christ or serving others? Do we have this zeal to bring change in our lives? Many of us may be here in, in our lives today and and we're sitting here this evening and we're thinking to ourselves, I know I got a lot of, lot of garbage in my life. I know I got a lot of, of baggage that I need to, to get rid of. I got things in my life that I need to change. I, I look back and I see, I'm reminded, me myself, I'm reminded every day of things that I've overcome in my life. But I'm also reminded of the things that I've lost focus on. And the question is, do we have that zeal, do we have that eagerness to make those changes in our life that we need to make? In Luke chapter 9, we're reminded of, of our Lord, as he said, pertaining to those who desired to come after him, those who wanted to follow him. 
He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This, this eagerness, it needs to be a continual thing. It needs to be something that is done daily in our lives if we want it bad enough. But whatever it is that's holding us back, we got to let it go. We're reminded in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul, once again writing to another group of Christians, reminds them, tells them to, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. See, that's, that's what sin is. It's a weight that holds us back. But he reminds us, even, even us here today, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. And sort of, that word endurance, to me, is very similar to the word eagerness, to zeal. Let us run with zeal. Let us run with eagerness. Let us run with endurance that race that is set before us. Let's, let's chase that, that change. And we need to understand those things that are holding us back, the sins in our lives or the, the past sins of our lives that tend to linger around and haunt us, we have to leave them behind. Once again in Luke chapter 9, on down to verse 62, Jesus, I think, points out this very thing here about leaving things behind. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We have sin in our lives that we've overcome, holding back and dragging them, letting them be a weight tied around our waist as we're trying to run through this race of life. It's getting us nowhere. And that's what it means to take up your cross. It means to, to endure to push on, to go forward. And that's what these people here in Corinth they did. They, 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 they could have, when they received that first letter from Paul, they could have just hung their head in sorrow and said, oh, well, that's just the way life is. It's just too tough for me to change. I just, I try, but I keep failing. Well, so why do I even put forth the effort? But no, they did not. They put their hands to the plow, and they didn't look back. They had zeal. They had that eagerness about them. But the question is, do you and I, do we have that same zeal? Do we have the same eagerness that these Christians here at Corinth had? If somebody were to come to you this evening, tomorrow, next week, next month, and say, Nate, there's some things in your life that I think aren't right. How would I respond? Would I have the, the zeal, the eagerness to change and make corrections in those, those things in my life? And I'm sure all of us during this big time out, so to speak, in life that we've, we've been handed to us over the past few months have had probably more time than normal to reflect. And even though my schedule has not really changed a whole awful lot to norm, I've done a lot more reflecting. And thinking about look, examining self. And there's been some moments where I've welled up inside. And I thought, wow, you need to make some changes. And especially as preparing this lesson, you know, going back through and being reminded and seeing some of the things that these Corinthians overcame, wow, those are some similar things that I've overcome. There are some things that I need to correct. 
But then finally, Paul, last, he says, what vindication? King James, I believe, uh, uses the word revenge. English Standard, I think, has a different word for it. But I'm reading from New King James, and I like, like this word vindication. Because I think it goes along with the other things that Paul had said. I'm not saying that revenge doesn't or, or other, other definitions given. But vindication, to be vindicated, what does that mean? Well, it means justification against denial or censor. Being justified. Well, these people, these Christians, these, these, these Corinthians here, they were justified, Paul said. They no longer lived in denial. We go back to the first letter and we, we see all the things that were going on in their lives. Who were in denial, especially in chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians, right? Pertaining to the sexual immorality, the, the, the individual that was, that, was, that was in sexual sin, the others were ignoring it. They were denying it. They were in denial. And also they were in no need, no longer in need of being censored. You look back at a lot of the things that they, they took place in, the sexual immorality, the, the idolatry, and all the things that, that, that were going on in their lives, we look back and we're like, wow, yeah, they needed to be censored. But I, I know that there are individuals, there are some of us even here tonight, our lives need to be censored. And, and, and it's a shame if that's so, but I know that it is, especially on social media. There are, so, there, there are Christians, even among us, that on social media you wish you could hit that censor button when you see their posts. Whether it's put on Facebook or or Instagram or whatever, Snapclap or whatever those other multi-medias are. Especially when, when an individual posts a picture when, he's, when that individual has been out to eat. And you see a glass of beer sitting on the table. That needs to be censored. Better yet, that needs to be removed from our lives. In those things. And Paul said to about the Corinthians here, you've been justified, you've been vindicated. We ourselves need to understand that as a child of God, we are justified through the blood of Christ. But we have to have that zeal, we have to have that eagerness to go forth and make those changes. We no longer have to cower to sin. Because if we're truly walking and living in Christ, and sin no longer has control over our lives. In Romans chapter 3, and so often we go to verse 23 and we, <coughs> we read verse 23 and we just stop there. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we need to continue that. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. But it's the blood of Christ that has justified us. It is the blood of Christ that has vindicated us. Going on in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Yeah, the... the, the the Corinthians, they, they had a lot of things early on in their Christian walk that they struggled with, <clears throat> that they had to overcome. And it took a verbal 
hand spanking, so to speak, from Paul through a letter to wake them up. What is it going to take for us to get woke up? To, to realize that a change needs to take place in our lives. That we too can be vindicated as they were. Romans chapter 6 and verse 10 tells us for death, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What type of life are we living? Are we living a life that we live to God? When we give ourselves over to Christ, we are saying, I no longer want to live my life in the past. I no longer want to live in sin. The Corinthians were people that made this very same decision. They committed their lives to, to, to serving Christ, to living for Christ. They had a vehement desire to do the will of God. They had zeal, they had eagerness to change their lives. When it was pointed out to them the, the things that weren't right, the lives that they were living that weren't in accordance with God will, God's will, when that was made known to them, it didn't say that they, they say slowly, continually, or someday got it right. Paul said you had zeal, you had an eagerness to make those changes. And they were vindicated through the obedience of the gospel. How great it would be to have a letter written from someone like Paul. What would he say about the church here at Northfield? If, if our elders or David or Leland, whoever goes and checks the mail for the, for the congregation here, if they were to receive an envelope that said that was addressed to the church at Northfield, and it was from the Apostle Paul. We know he's not alive and kicking and sending out letters today, but, but just, just imagine being that church at Corinth and receiving a letter from somebody like the Apostle Paul, what would it say? I'm I'm, 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 may not be 100%, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, because I've been part of this congregation for many years now, I'm pretty sure that somewhere in that letter would be something, if not exactly what was written in verse 11, something very similar to what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. Because that's the things that I see from this congregation. And if you're a member of this congregation and, and you're not involved, if you do not have that vehement desire, that zeal, have vindication, then there's a change that needs to take place in your life. And I encourage you to do so. Not next week, not next month. Don't wait till, till New Year's to make a New Year's resolution. Do it now. Do not put off for tomorrow what can be done today.